If you're a young goalie right now, you're, you're lucky. You're growing up in an era where, where you're going to be really taken care of. You're going to have expertise uh, for you. You, you just got to put in the work. Welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Every week, we'll be talking shop with lacrosse goalies, coaches, and special guests. This is the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Now your host, Coach Damon Wilson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, goalies from around the world, welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Damon Wilson, and this is a podcast 100% dedicated to the best position in sports. That's right, I'm talking about the lacrosse goalie. And on this show, it is my job to hunt down the top goalies in our sport, interview them, and find out what makes them so great. How do they approach training? How do they approach the sport? How do they approach the mental side of things? So hopefully you can learn a thing or two that you can apply to your own game. Now, at the beginning of 2021, I sat down and I wrote a list of the top five goalies that I want to interview for this podcast. And on that list was the guest of this very episode. It's the great Quint Kestnich. Now, long before Quint was the voice of college lacrosse on ESPN, he was starring in lacrosse games at Johns Hopkins as their standout goalie, winning goalie of the year two consecutive years. And in this episode, we discuss Quint's upbringing on Long Island and how he became such an elite goalie. After college, Quint got into broadcasting. Well, he did a quick stop at Citicorp, which we talk about in this episode when he realized that the nine to five office life was not for him because as soon as March came around that year, he got that itch, that that bug, lacrosse bug to get out on the field and wanted to get back out there. And we talk about how he got into broadcasting and what he learned as a goalie that helps him inside the booth. I hope you learn a ton in this episode with the great Quint Kesnich. Before we start this conversation with Quint, I want to let you all know about an awesome upcoming event. It's the Virtual Lacrosse Goalie Summit 3. And if you are a goalie, a coach, or a parent of a lacrosse goalie trying to figure out this crazy position that we call lacrosse goalie, this event is for you. It is 16 different coaches over the course of four days, and they'll each be presenting on a different aspect of lacrosse goalie, all with a single goal, to make you better, all right? It's going to run from March 3rd, Wednesday, March 3rd, through Saturday, March 6th, and here is the best part. It is 100% free to attend. I'm so pumped to announce this lineup of coaches. They're really the best in the sport. We got Goldie Smith, Kyle Burnlor, Liz Hogan, Matt DeLuca, Brian Phipps, Dom Madonna, Trevor Tierney, on and on. The lineup is really awesome. We're going to be coming to you live from the comfort of your own home, March 3rd through March 6th, all 100% free. Reserve your ticket at www.goaliesummit.com. That's www.goaliesummit.com, and I'll see you there. Enjoy this episode with Quint Kesnich. So true. Well, there's so much I could talk to you about. You are a wealth of lacrosse knowledge. Uh, but since this is a lacrosse goalie podcast, I thought we'd, we'd start with your lacrosse goalie career. And the first question goes all the way back to the beginning. Do you remember your very first time in goal, that, that story? Well, yeah, I have two older brothers. Uh, they're six and eight years older than I am. 
And so when I was four and five, I'd see them playing with their friends in the backyard or the driveway, whether it be street hockey or throwing the lacrosse ball around or the football in the backyard. And uh, in order to play, I remember they were like, okay, get in goal. And so I replaced a trash can uh, in the driveway playing street hockey. I replaced uh, an empty net in the backyard and they put a, a helmet. They actually taped up a Long Island Newsday newspaper and hung it around my neck as a chest protector and gave me a stick <laughs> when I was five and six years old. Uh, and that was my indoctrination. And again, if, if I wanted to play, I had to play goalie. So after doing that for, I don't know, three, four, five years, I, I started uh, to play lacrosse. I think I was in the third grade in our town when, 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 uh, when rec became available. I love it. I have this theory that there's only three reasons why people become lacrosse goalies and yours is one of them, which is they have an older sibling who needs somebody to shoot on. <laughs> that's no, that's exactly right. Now, now the cool thing was when I was in third through eighth grade, I was able to run a shift to midfield and play goalie. So I play half the game as a goalie and then I play half the game as a midfielder. Uh, and, and that was uh, really satisfying and really beneficial, quite honestly, a, a long term. That's what I recommend all youth goalies do when they start out is, is spend some time in the field because you learn some stick skills. Your, your lacrosse IQ uh, gets a lot larger. You learn how to play defense. And even if you end up being a full-time goalie, like those skills end up benefiting you uh, big time. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, 100%. I mean, j- just, the, just the shooting aspect of it. When, when, if you're a young midfielder or an attackman, learning how to shoot, the way you see the goal, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then you transfer trans- transpose that to when you're a goalie okay what's that shooter looking at what are his windows what are his options how is the defense playing him you know what type of shot is he likely to take here so those and and then uh, you know the clearing game understanding the field concepts understanding when defenders are vulnerable or or when they're in a good position uh having lived that yourself as a midfielder knowing knowing i can cover this guy i got him or you know i'm overmatched i'm gonna let him you know i'm gonna try to uh let him beat me down to a weak angle. So there's a, there's yeah. a lot of intricacies and, uh, and just general sports, you know, knowledge that makes you better as a goalie. Yeah. What, um, what drew you to the position or, or I guess, when did you first sort of fall in love with the position of lacrosse goalie? I think it was, it was right away. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. kind of a, uh, a, I would, I would say intense. I'm a worker. I don't mind repetitive work. And so going out into my backyard and pounding the ball against the wall, uh, against the, the back of my garage for three hours at a time was, was not uncommon for me. I mean, I spent more time on that wall. Uh, my neighbors used to, you know, complain that I was making noise late at night or early in the morning when the ball was pounding off the, the back of our garage. And mm-hmm. I, I go back sometimes and I'd like add up the math. You know, if I was doing four and a half hours of wall ball a week, through uh, grades, let's say two through through twelve, I figured it out with 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 the cost of my scholarship. I was basically getting paid fifty dollars an hour to play wall ball in my backyard. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a great it was a great investment of my time. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you grew no, up, but, but, so, but the challenges, yeah. So I so I, I didn't mind. I, I liked the training. I didn't mind getting hit by the ball ever, and and mm. I liked. Uh, you know, to factor in a game, you know, to know that a game rides uh, can ride on your performance uh, and the satisfaction of, of winning. Yeah. How did you develop that that mentality of not um, minding to get hit by the ball? Because as a lacrosse goalie, like, you know, even if you're one of the best goalies, 
uh, I got to tell you, like getting hit in the shin sucks. And a lot of goalies who start out, you know, that's one of their biggest fears. They're just so scared of that ball. So how did you develop that? Or where did that come from? Well, you know, on game day, nothing really hurts. Uh, yeah, that's that's one thing that, that I learned. Warm weather, uh, I have no problem with getting hit, you know, April, May, June and summer. Uh, the ball just doesn't sting as much. But what I, I hated and what I still just grimace when I see kids get get a shot in the toe, a shot in the shin, a shot in the thigh, a shot mm-hmm. in the bicep in February or on a cold day, uh, there is yeah. nothing more painful. And, you know, I remember a, a series of, of practices I had when I was in high school and, and I was a ninth grader and we had a couple really good seniors and, and I got pegged in the arm and had a huge bruise. I come out there the next day and I get hit in the exact same spot. And I mean, my arm was black and blue all over kind of lost the muscle function. And so you learn to pad yourself up. You learn to take care of your injuries. I mean, there wasn't a night in high school. I, when I did my homework, I had an ice bag. I always went to the refrigerator. I got my ice bag and I put it on whatever needed because, you know, as a goalie, if you get hit twice in the same spot, you can be dealing with some issues. So whether it's a thigh, a, a shin or a shoulder, you know, it's, it's best to tend to those the first day, ice them up, and then you're fine going forward. Uh, so, so that was never, you know, I, I wore shin guards in practice until maybe ninth or 10th grade as well, because, mm. you know, you go back then, the shooters weren't that good. When you're young, the shooters aren't good. You're going to get hit more. So what I found is as you advance through the levels, whether it's middle school, high school, college, pro, the shooters get better. You're getting yep. hit less, actually. Yeah, they're, they're shooting the ball a lot harder, but the chance of you getting pegged in the shins when you're playing at Johns Hopkins is a lot less than it is when I'm playing for the uh, Limburg Titans on Long Island. Yeah. Uh, you grew you grew up on on Long Island, um, you know, a lacrosse hotbed. Who did you learn the position of goalie from as you as you were a young kid? Was there like a specific camp that you'd go to, a specific person that coached you? How'd you go about learning this position? Uh, I didn't really have a formal coach until, well, I never really had a formal coach until college, uh, mm-hmm. and and so, you know, I, but I was always surrounded by enough people who knew the position, enough people who could warm me up correctly. I had good instruction at our rec program, where to stand, what, what type of arc to play. Uh, and so my fundamentals were always, were always very solid. Uh, I was lucky enough when I was in high school that a Virginia graduate named Matt Reynas, who played at our high school, uh, graduated from Virginia and he was coming back and he was going to law school at St. John's. And he had played in, in Virginia's national championship game when they lost in overtime. I think it was 1980 or 81. And he was three or four years out of college, but he was shooting on me every day in practice when I was in ninth, 10th oh, wow. and 11th grade. And so I was getting college level shots in warm up for high school practice. And then I'd enter a game and be like, that's nothing compared to, to the guy that just warmed me up, who was, who was a, a starting yeah. attackman for Virginia of a national title team. So, so that was a big advantage I had uh, as, a, as a high school athlete. Yeah. And besides taking shots, what, uh, what did your training regimen look like? Well, I, I get, taking shots, I think is, is gigantic. And it's something yeah. in season that I was always getting shot on extra before or after practice. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. something I really believe in. I was, a, I was a three sport and then a four sport athlete. So my training off season was, uh, I, I didn't pick up the stick very much. You know, I wrestled, uh, from the time I was in, you know, fourth grade until high school, uh, I played, uh, soccer and then football. And so I was always in good shape. I was always training for something. And so, footwork, flexibility, and strength were, were things that I was working on constantly. 
And then obviously mm-hmm. when lacrosse season came around, it was just a matter of getting the stick skills and, and the, the hours, as I said, the hours invested against the wall in my backyard, really, really kind of, uh, that was the difference at that time. Yeah. Um, I was also a wrestler. I was a high school wrestler. Um, not as good as you, you're, you're two time, two time section, section champ, right? I, I don't know if you did, do you do anything at the state tournament? I, yeah, I did. I, I lost, uh, I lost a heartbreaking match when I was a senior. It's, it's, uh, it, it became a real, uh, motivational point for me the rest of my athletic career. Quite honestly, I was holding on to a three to two lead in a match that I should have won. And I got reversed with about eight seconds to go and lost, uh, that wrestler made it to the finals and, and he lost, he came wow. second, but it was, a, it was a match that I clearly mishandled. Uh, and because I was holding on, I was holding on to the win instead of keep, push the action. I should have cut him free for the tie and taken him down and gone up by two. Uh, you know, and so that mindset, I always took onto the lacrosse field. Uh, I'm not, I may lose this game, but it's not going to be because I'm not going to be aggressive. And if, if you ever watch any tapes, you know, you watch my style was always aggressive. I'm going to take chances at the end of this game on a walk off the field saying, you know what, we won or we lost, but I wasn't denied the opportunity to have fun, to take chances and to be super aggressive. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think there's a big correlation between wrestling and lacrosse goalie. And I've had guys on this podcast, um, Cipriano, uh, I think Blaze wrestled. Like a lot of guys, you know, have that background in wrestling because I think it's, it's a lot of it's the mental piece. Like wrestling is a very difficult and oh. mentally taxing sport. You know, I mean, you know, it, I try to try to tell people how difficult it is in lacrosse to go from you're playing throughout your career in front of not many, very many fans. And then all of a sudden in college, there's some fans there and you go to the semifinals and there's 30,000, 40,000, the whole world is watching and nothing in lacrosse can prepare you for that. But to step on the mat in front of your friends, your teammates, your family on a Friday night against a wrestling rival from, from the town next door and to lose that match in front of all those people is, 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 can be devastating or to win that match to have the guts to step out there by yourself and to know what it feels like to wrestle in that moment. And then to wrestle in the postseason tournaments, knowing that if you lose, you're done, your season's over to deal with that pressure, to deal with the stress, to deal with the uncertainty and, and uh, the challenges of knowing that as you progress, the competition gets better and better. Those mental challenges were so important in my lacrosse career. There wasn't a second that I used lacrosse to prepare for future lacrosse. It was always, I was using my wrestling background Mm-hmm. that to 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 apply it to lacrosse i mean i was never you, you're never more nervous uh than you are for for a big wrestling match the, the, even in the biggest lacrosse game it doesn't even come close yeah and it's it's that one-on-one aspect like you cannot blame anybody else you know like on the lacrosse field on the lacrosse team if i woke up every morning and did an extra six mile run like maybe you know that could translate into a win and me playing better but in wrestling like there's nobody to blame you know, but you, and if you don't do that run, um, guess what your opponent is, and you're going to get beat. So I, I think that one-on-one aspect is pretty, is That's pretty right. crucial. You, you own it. I mean, when, mm-hmm. when you're wrestling, you own it. I mean, I, I remember walking back to school the next day and you're in the homeroom after you lost a big match and you own it, that you can't, there's no excuses. You can't pin it on the defense. You can't pin it on the midfielders. You can't pin it on the coach. Uh, you, you own it. So, so that was, uh, definitely applicable as a goalie o- own the goals you give up. You, you, yeah. you should have had it. Every goal is a savable shot. Now, obviously, there, there's there's scenarios where somebody else created that shot, but you know you you got to own it. And and I, I really 
disturbs me when I see goalies like point or, or uh, make motions to, to other players on the team, you know, do that, do that in private, do that where no one else can see it. But uh, you know, own, own the fact that you just got beat for a goal. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, you touched on your style of play a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. One, like when you watch goalies um, of your era, uh, including Jim Beardmore, who I just interviewed and yourself, like so active, I mean, so active, you know, there's a loose ball right in front of the crease. There's number 11 running and out, like just, you know, dodging through people. Um, When did goalies stop playing like that? I I don't know. You know, Jimmy Beardmore was and is still for his age an incredible athlete. I used to watch him when, when Hopkins played Maryland when I was a freshman. I, I remember watching him warm up and I was just amazed at what he could do. Behind the back passes, crazy clears. He scored goals at Maryland. He could have played any position on the field. He, he could have played midfield. And then long after college, he played defensive midfield at a high level of club. So he, he was a special athlete. You know, my skill set lent me to more short area quickness where I was going to be that extra defender, the seventh defender and any loose ball Boom, five to 10 yard sprints. I was like the fastest guy on our team. I'd get reeled in by 20 and, and then half the team would pass me by 40 yards. But lacrosse has played in smaller <laughs> windows than 40 yards. Lacrosse has played in five yard windows. If you want to get yeah. a ground ball, you only got to be fast for five yards. If, if you want to get a ground ball and then get out of trouble, you only got to be fast for 10 yards and the play's over. And, and so that, that was really uh, the strength of my game around the crease. The burst of speed, ball, Dave Petromala would do the takeaway check, the ball would be on the ground. He kind of had that guy marked. Everyone else would have their guy marked. Well, who's the free safety? Who's the free tackler? I'm I'm the free safety. I'm the free tackler. No one's responsible for me. And so that's an opportunity to come out, make a play, get the ball to safety. And mm-hmm. and I, I would encourage goalies to be to be more aggressive on those plays. It's kind of a low risk play, especially if the ball is goal line extended or behind. Uh, you know, and, and, and you trust, and then your defense will start to play off of you. They know that when the ball hits the ground, if they can shield their man, they, they expect me to be there and, yeah. and, and to clean it up. So I, I wish goalies were more aggressive. I don't know. For a while, I thought the overall athletic ability of some goalies decreased. I thought because the way youth lacrosse is handled, maybe at a younger age, put the, put the slow kid in goal, put the non-athlete in goal. Uh, but I, I see that changing now. I see, I see this next crop of goalies is, is really athletic. And, and, and I think that bodes well going forward with the shot clock, especially. You can't hide. If you can't clear, uh, you can't handle your position, then, then I don't think there's a place for you. So I, I think it's coming back to where it used to be. Good, good. I'm a huge fan of athletic and goalies that make plays outside the crease because I mean, if you can earn that possession, it's way easier than a save way easier than a save. Yeah, no, exactly. Pickoffs and ground balls, you know, that's a possession and a save is a possession. At the end of the day, you want to add those up. That's your overall grade. I think too many people put a stock in the save percentage number in itself. And there's, there's far more uh, to to being a great goalie than just your save percentage. Yeah. Uh, Making saves wise, your style, like none of the guys back, back in your era played in that deep, that deep arc, you know, flat arc, you know, but, but in the goal, right. Everyone was out sort of cutting off that angle. When I watch, there's only one YouTube clip I found of your highlights, but it seems like your hands are like a lot closer together than a lot of goalies these days play. And I'm, I'm curious if that's, if that's a thing or. Well, yeah, um, I could show you a picture from high school. I was a little wider 
uh, they changed my stance a little when, when I got to college on my first day of practice. And I, I remember going back to my dorm room and like, this is not going to work. I'm, 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 I'm out of here. And, uh, you know, who are, they, who are they telling me that I've been holding this stick incorrectly, incorrectly my whole life. But, but I figured that out, you know, a couple things, stick technology, the sticks were heavier. Okay. The, mm. the sticks were much heavier. And, yeah. and so uh, the way you held your stick, we played with a much longer, longer shaft back then. Uh, we, we fields fields were grass if that they were mostly dirt and so if you played back the bounce shot was in play the tricky bounce shots and so you really had to use your body and move to get behind those bouncers to make stops and so angle play being out what was was beneficial guys could not shoot 100 plus miles an hour as well so the yeah. speed shot wasn't as much uh, a fear. It became a fear, I think, in the early '90s to mid '90s when the stick technology changed. Yeah. But I, you know, I just caught the end of that when I was playing club. But when I was in college, you know, they used to screen goalies. They used to take wicked bounce shots on horrible fields, and the ball would kick uh, just completely inconsistent hops. And so, so we were encouraged when the ball was out top to play on a higher arc. Uh, mm-hmm. And to try to take take that you know those shots away with our bodies. So there's a lot of factors. The position has changed uh, for the better, but but there's a lot of factors that you have to evaluate when you go back and do look at old clips. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the the long goalie sticks is something that you don't see anymore um, in in today's game. Like I played with just a player shaft, like an attack shaft, because I loved how how light it was. Uh, but when you when you look back at some of those older older goalies, like there are long some long shafts there on a on a STX Goldmaster. Is that what you're using? Yeah, yeah. No, I played with with uh, I, for the for the era it was a medium length. I, I liked to be, to be able to reach and 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 pick off uh, passes around the crease, and I, yeah. I felt that it helped my outlet passes. You know, the longer shaft, you know, I could throw to to midfield and beyond with good accuracy. The other thing is the pocket technology. I mean, if you look at those tapes, I, I'm I'm playing with a pizza flipper. I mean, there's very little pocket in that stick. And it amazes yeah. me if I had those, you know, I gave up a big rebound in that Syracuse game uh, that, that really cost us. There's two goals I'd like back from that championship game, but one of them was a rebound. And like, if I had the pocket technology of today, let me tell you, that was, that was not a rebound, but we're yeah. playing with, we're playing with, I used to get the, the, the kits and the hard mesh was too hard and the soft mesh was too soft. So I used to take the soft mesh and spray it with spray paint, white spray paint, just to tighten it up a little. And oh. so there was, or I'd get the hard mesh and get sandpaper and sand it down and, and soften it up. But it, it was very difficult to get a good pocket that was consistent, playing in mud in the rain and the weather back then, not on AstroTurf fields all the time. Uh, it, the, the, the equipment advancements have, have really benefited young goaltenders. They, they, don't, they have no idea how lucky they have it. Yeah. Well, do you, do you think it's easier for the goaltenders nowadays? I mean, some could argue that, you know, with the, with the, the advance of the stick technology and, in, in, you know, in terms of offset heads, the, the pockets, these, these super lightweight shafts that shooters are shooting with, it's way harder as a goalie. Way harder to make stops now. Absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. Shooters yeah. have 10 to 15 to 20 miles an hour they have much better accuracy because of these sticks they can fall retention is through the roof so you see these dodges where guys get to the middle of the field and get high quality shots that never existed in my era yeah. uh, we had defenders if you came in the middle of the field my defense was going to take your head off uh legally uh that doesn't exist <laughs> anymore either so mm. the challenges of the goaltending position have have, have skyrocketed uh, absolutely through the roof yeah yeah love it kind of going back to your story so um 
you're in high school, like, you know, good, good athlete, both in, both in wrestling and lacrosse, I guess, when did you start to realize, Hey, like I want to do, I want to play lacrosse at the next level. Like this is something I could, I could possibly do. And what made you choose lacrosse versus, you know, versus pursuing wrestling? Uh, I think it was 10th or 11th grade, probably 11th grade. You know, uh, I started in varsity as a sophomore. I got a lot of time when I was a freshman because the other goalie got hurt. But I started to play really well as a, as a sophomore goalie. And then as a junior goalie, uh, I had a lot of success. Wrestling, I was really good in like 6th, 7th, 8th grade, kind of plateaued in ninth and 10th grade, as, as a lot of wrestlers do when they enter high school, uh, just maturity level. And then, you know, I when I kind of grew up and, and kicked in with weight training, I had really successful 11th and 12th grade wrestling seasons. Had some offers, Ivy wrestling, some smaller mm. schools, but, but lacrosse, uh, really became a focus. I think when I was in 11th grade. Okay. And, um, what made you choose Hopkins? Uh, I, you know, back then there was about 20 schools. I think that, that, you know, you, if you were a, a, a big time lacrosse player, you, you would consider, and half of those had goalies in the freshman class that didn't need one in my class. And so you cut that population in half. And, you know, I was left with, uh, a smaller sample as most goalies are, but you know, my brother went to Navy and I considered Navy, but Jack Emmer and, and West Point put a big sell on me. And, and, and I went up for a trip there, uh, <clears throat> did a recruiting trip at Virginia and, and Hopkins. So those are my three trips. Nice. You, um, having gone through the process yourself and just being around and talking to so many kids who have gone through that recruiting process, if there's, you know, a young, I don't know, ninth grader, 10th grader out there listening to this right now, what advice do you have for them on um, playing college lacrosse? Well, don't be in a rush in the recruiting process. I, I think that's critical. You know, when we see, thank God early recruiting is kind of gone now, but when we, we, we saw yeah. this, I was on a football sideline and there was a recruiting trip, the lacrosse coach who I know very well, was like, yeah, hey, this guy's a recruit. I looked over, I'm like, that, that kid's like 12 years old. He's, he's like 13, he's, he's like a ninth grader. You know, one of the critical elements is when you go on a recruiting trip, you're meeting your future teammates, you're meeting your future friends for life. And when you're in eighth or ninth grade, that team that you on your visit is not going to be the team that you're playing around. So, you know, I think it's important to hold off the decision at least until 11th grade when you get a feeling for, yeah, I'm going to Georgetown. I, I, I really feel like the, I fit in well with the team, with, with those guys who are going to be my best friends, you know? And so, yeah, you know, the school, you know, the academics, you know, the lacrosse, but the composition of the team is so important for, for who you, who you're going to become and, and the type of people you're going to be spending your time with. So true. So true. Yeah. The guys on my lacrosse team, uh, I mean, one of them was the best man at my wedding or Two, two others were in the, you know, in the wedding party, just, they're going to be the, your, your best buds for life. Um, so. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I was, my trip to Virginia was in the first weekend of September and Ace Adams, unfortunately roomed me with a freshman. Now this was a guy who was on campus for like less than a week. And he's trying to show me a school that he didn't know. He couldn't get, get into any of the parties. He didn't know where any of the academic buildings were you know it was his first football game that he took me yeah. to as well so so that was that was a, a bungled recruiting trip uh, on, mm. on a lot of uh i took my trip to hopkins believe it or not in january of my senior year think about that wow. by today's standards wow. january right. of my senior year yeah. i took uh i missed one wrestling match to be there it was over the weekend and 
you know, January. And I made the decision a couple of weeks later in uh, late January or February of my senior year. And by the standards back then, that was considered early. We had guys that I was playing lacrosse with that our season started as seniors in March and April who are finally figuring things out later in April of their senior year. Wow. That's awesome. So you, you get to Hopkins and you mentioned that was kind of like the first time that you had ever received any sort of uh, coach, any sort of goalie coaching, any sort of formal, formal training. I, I think you mentioned earlier that they changed your stance around what, what else did they do? Uh, what else did you learn? Well, I learned, I learned how to practice. I learned uh, the, the, uh, the details of the, of the position. Yeah, I had great coaching. Doc Matthews who had played there. He was a, he's a orthopedic surgeon. He was a goalie coach. Larry Quinn was, was on and off the staff. Yeah, Jerry Pfeiffer, whose son Jay played at, at Syracuse, and I'd later work with Jay. Uh, he was he was a goalie coach. Coach Zim would shoot on me. Our head coach would shoot on me once a week. He had uh, just a wicked outside bouncer on the run. <laughs> so so, so uh, attention to the position was was never in short supply. Uh, I, I thought I was a good practice player when you're in high school, as so many kids do. But when you get to college, you realize you weren't, you know, you really weren't a, a good practice player. And, and the, the intensity of every drill, mm-hmm. uh, every every rep matters so much more. Uh, and, and, and quickly you pick that up. I didn't start until game six of my freshman year. And it was a really it was a benefit. I, I, I felt I was I could have started and played well in week one against Syracuse up in the Dome. But I'm not sure I could have dealt with the, the failure or success that that would have come my way that early mm. in the season to kind of sit back and look at it like, oh, you're going to get interviewed by reporters after this game. Oh, you're going to have to talk about why you won or why you lost. Mm. You're going to have to walk campus and go to class and and adulation and people you know, knowing that you lost the game for them, like just dealing with lacrosse at Johns Hopkins. I was not ready for initially. And so it was a big benefit that uh, the coaches decided not to, not to play me until, you know, game six or so of my freshman year. Yeah. Interesting. So on that very first start that you get, you know, what kind of, what kind of pregame nerves are you dealing with? Are you, are you a kind of goalie that gets really um, amped up, really, really jittery before games or what's, what's yeah, your style I, there? I, that, that, I get, I get amped up for games now, even as a television guy, you ask Anisha Clark, yeah. they'll, they'll tell you that, that I'm a little, so that that's never changed. You know, the, the, the situation was that on a Monday, they called me into the coach's office before practice. And that's either, you know, the worst news of, of, of that you're going to get, you're, you know, kicked out of school, you're off the team or, or, or good news. And in this case, it was, Hey, we're giving you the start this week. We're going to reevaluate it on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. So I had a great practice week. I mean, I was fired up there because your adrenaline kicks in, you know, like yeah. Saturdays when your adrenaline kicks in, everyone's a little faster. Everyone's a little quicker, but I remember the first play of that game. We won the faceoff. The faceoff guy threw the ball back to me, but it was errant. The ball went in the corner. I scooped it up, and here comes Joey Seibold or Gary. It was Gary Seibold with a wooden shaft he had, and he he hammered my arm as hard as I have ever been hammered, right on the elbow bone. I mean, he, he it was perfect shot. Next thing you know, I got a golf ball on my elbow, and I'm like, oh okay. So this is college lacrosse. I, I get it now. We're like, we're playing for keeps here. And so that fired me up so much. The fact that that guy hacked my elbow. Uh, we won the game by a goal. And, and from then on, it was like, okay, Saturday's a different ball game. Like I thought practice was intense, but, but the, the, the game was, was, was over the top intense. And, and, and I love that about it. Love it. That's a great story. Uh, you played with coach Petromala uh, on that team. Um, what was he like as, as a player and a teammate? Well, he was, you know, I had the best seat in the house. I mean, I could see him 
he, he could read plays a mile away and he was explosive and aggressive, kind of like a blitzing free safety where, where he sees the play develop before it and, and, and blitzes the right gap and blows up the quarterback or jumps a route, mm-hmm. you know, intuitive greatness. Uh, on the ball, he was always attacking. I mean, he was always looking to take the ball away, and there are very few guys who could, who could outrun him. Uh, he, he wasn't, to his own admission, he'll admit he wasn't always a great practice player, like, but, when, but when things mattered in practice, whether it was one-on-ones, six-on-sixes, four-on-threes, man-up, man-down, the competitive parts of practice, he's the guy you wanted to be on your team. And you know, when, when, when we teamed up, when, when we were put on the same teams of scrimmages, our teams rarely, we, we, we honestly, we, we, we rarely lost. Uh, that was just the fact of, of the composition of our team because he was that dominant. Uh, and, and, and I wanted to win all the, all those, uh, those, you know, Long Island, New York scrimmages that we used to have. I Long, love it. Excuse me, Long Island, Maryland scrimmages we used to have. I love it. Uh, and you guys still good friends today. Yeah, we're, we're good. We're good friends. We have a working relationship plus, you know, years of history together. I think there's a trust yeah. that goes, with that, there's a there's an uh, un untalked about comfort level that we have with each other because we know each other so well, and and there's a there's a, a behind the curtain honesty that that we have that I've always uh, enjoyed about Dave. You know, uh, there are moments where where we'll go to the side and, and just talk, and we can be very real and very authentic and honest with with uh, with each other about a, lo- a lot of different things, whether it's our family whether it's our careers, whether it's the sport. Uh, and so uh, I've always valued that. And, and uh, you know, Dave is, uh, I, I, just, I feel lucky to have played with him, lucky to have covered his coaching career for, for as long as uh, I was able to do. Yep. Awesome. Um, in uh, 1987, you go to the national championship, well, win the national championship, but for all the goalies out there listening who have never experienced a division one national championship lacrosse game, how do you how do you even start to describe that that experience? Well, yeah, the semifinal game they got the semifinal game. We had lost to Maryland in I don't know week eight or nine by four goals maybe or two. We, uh, it was a close game going in the fourth quarter. We we fouled. I think they beat us four zero in the fourth quarter. They mm-hmm. were undefeated. Maryland was undefeated, and nobody gave us a chance. I remember, and that was when the semifinals were on ESPN two. It was the only games broadcast all season long. And I remember yeah. preparing for that game and our coaching staff did a remarkable job. We ended up winning the game by a lot, but no one gave us a chance. They were undefeated. All the pressure was on them. And at, from my standpoint, it was, you know what, this game's going to be on national TV. My high school friends haven't seen me played all season. No one's seen me play. I was like, man, I want to go up there. I just hope Maryland doesn't embarrass me because they had shooters. They had Beardmore in the goal. They had some athletes and some shooters that were out of this world. Guys who, if they got looks, were going to score and big, strong, athletic. And I'm just like, you know what? I just don't want to be embarrassed. That like that was I was driven that week by the fear of failure, which is very rare for me in my in in my career to be driven that way. and then we got off to a good start. They scored early and the place went, place went crazy. And it was one of those, you know, like I, I, I look back at it now, like I turn to a defender. I'm like, wow, that was really cool. Like the, the place is going nuts. Maryland's dancing yeah. around, you know, telling me I suck and whatever. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty cool. If that's the worst this is going to be, it's going to be okay. You know, it's like yeah. you give up a goal and it's like, okay, that's, that doesn't really hurt. I can deal with this. Uh, so then the finals, Cornell was undefeated. 
we were very, I mean, I was very confident that we were going to win that game. And, and I think that's the kind of the difference you go two years later before the Syracuse finals, I thought we could win Cornell game. I knew we were going to win. There's a big difference for if you're in, in a team sport. Yeah. I think we can win this. Uh, I know we're going to win if we do X, Y, and Z. And, and uh, that Cornell playing against Paul Smoller, I have, you know, he's in the hall of fame. I have tremendous respect for him competed against him and Sal seemed like forever. Uh, and, and that game, uh, I, I, I felt I played a strong game that day. I was relaxed. I was loose. I made some plays, uh, got off to a good start and, uh, and finished it off. And, and, uh, you know, we had a young defense. We had three sophomores and myself as a freshman mm-hmm. in goal. And, and we had a veteran defensive midfield and, and it was just, uh, we peaked at the right time. What, what gives you that level of confidence that, you know, um, I know we're going to win this game? Because I, I would totally admit, like, there's a huge difference between, eh, I, I think we got a chance, I think we're going to win, like, I know we're going to win. And if you can get there, especially as a goalie, like, it just puts this level of confidence into your play, and you, you play a lot better if you can get there. But I'm curious how, how you got there. I don't know. You know, I think it was just beating Maryland, we felt like, if we could beat Maryland, there's not a team that can play with us right now. And yeah. Cornell was undefeated. We underestimated them. I look back at look looking back at it, I underestimated their talent, their toughness. They were undefeated. Teams late in the year, you don't see undefeated teams. They're undefeated for a reason. We built a lead. They came back at us. They wouldn't go away, and they they nearly won that game. So I so, saw you know Timmy Goldstein and and uh, uh, all sorts of All Americans on that team. But the thing for me. I found comfort, and I remember this distinctly, shaking hands with Paul Schmoller at the midline, turning towards the goal, and just for a moment, I was like, I was really at ease. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm playing for a national championship. I remember when I was in sixth grade and I went to the 1983 championship with Syracuse and Hopkins, and I'm actually in that game right now. And for a second, I was like, you can get like, oh my gosh, but I was like, oh, that's cool. Cause I've done a lot of work to get here. I, I spent all those hours in the backyard against my wall. I lifted weights. I jumped rope. I did everything the coaches asked me for Like I'm prepared for this and, and I'm going to handle this. And I'm actually less nervous than I was for a big high school wrestling match. And so yeah. I was really, I was really calm. I was overcome with a feeling of calm. Wow. Interesting. Uh, your next, your next two seasons, 88 and 89, you, th- those are the two you won goalie of the year. Um, I'm curious, was there anything like, you know, leading up to that, that you did differently, or was it just sort of the accumulation of your, of your, you know, your, your lacrosse career sort of coming to a peak? Uh, we, we had a pretty good defense in 88. We had a strong regular season that kind of went downhill because of some injuries late in the year. And we lost a, an overtime playoff game at home, which was, which was, just catastrophically disappointing 89 we beat Syracuse to open the season in a game that could have gone either way and we got it rolling and then we kind of we kind of let our foot off the gas pedal late in the year and we lost to Towson to end the regular season and that was a great wake-up call for us that 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 got us we were going astray uh off the field we we, we were we were thinking that we're a little better than than, than we were that loss was tremendously beneficial to get us back. Uh, that was a, to, the classic pre-playoff loss. Yeah. We beat, we beat UMass in, in round one in a, in a low scoring game where Sal made 24 saves. And, and that was hard and, and challenging anytime you face off with, with a Schmoller or, or, or a Sal. And, and then uh, semifinals, we were down at halftime to Carolina 
no panic at all. Like that was, that was one of those, we had a goofy team and we're in the locker room, like joking around and laughing around. We're down by two to Carolina in the semifinals. And we just knew we were going to make our run. We, we knew that the goals, I gave up some bad goals in the first half of that game. And I'm like, you know, we got this, we're fine. Stick to what we're doing. It's going to go. We're just a little, we're just, you know, we're just a little slow. And, and, and we dominated the second half of that game. And then, and then the 89 championship was, uh, it was just played at such a, such a great tempo. Uh, that was a lot of fun to play in that game. Uh, unfortunately, we, we came up short. But for, from my career development, there was nothing. You know, I, I continued to take a lot of shots before and after practice. I think my, my, you know, I was lifting a lot of weights. I was jumping a lot of rope. I, I became a bet, much better practice player. Uh, mm. I took off my chest protector in practice in 1988 because I felt like I was drifting through practice. And kids, you can't do this now. Uh, it was a different game, but. In order to focus, I, I was like, one day I'm like, I'm giving up some goals in practice. I shouldn't give up because I'm not focused. Well, how can I focus better? Oh, I'll, I'll practice today without a chest protector. That'll force me to focus. And, and so that became, that, that, was, that was how I handled the next three years. I love it. Strip, yeah, and, off, and, strip off all that gear, you know, <laughs> to protect well, because I was, dri- you know, you're drifting. It's like once you've played for a national title or played in big games, it's like, okay, why do I care about this drill? Why do I care mm. about this drill? You, you yeah. have to care about this drill. And the only way to get better is to focus on every drill and try to make it, you know. And so, you know, we had a stage there where I, I'd have practices that were pretty darn good that yeah, I'm only giving up two, three, four five goals the entire practice. Uh, yeah. and, and that's how that's how you go from 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 good to great. Yeah. Yeah. It's that we've talked about it on this podcast a couple of times. It's that real for me, it's that strong connection uh, to the why. Like, why? Why are you really out here? doing this. And when I train kids, like that's the first thing we talk about, right? I mean, it's, you could put them through shooting drills and put them through some training, but you know, if you really understand like, Oh, this guy's, you know, um, backup, he's a junior and he's a backup on his high school team. And his why is he wants to, he wants to earn that starting role. Well, then all of a sudden, like, you know, the level of and in, uh, intensity of each drill just goes up by like five X, 10 X. So I think it's that connection to the why I think is kind of what you're talking yeah. about constant improvement whether it's save making as we talked about earlier ground ball play clearing understanding defense understanding man down defense understanding clears uh and then becoming becoming a good teammate i I think when you're a freshman and you're just worried about stopping the ball there's very little put on your plate in terms of defensive leadership and overall team leadership and later on you become responsible for how the defense is playing that day in practice you know the guys you want to get after to to have them have a better practice the guys who need a hug the, 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 the young guys who you have to teach, who you have to spend some time telling them how to make that slide correctly or when to go and not to go. And so there's, it becomes more about everybody else and less about you as, as your career develops. Yeah. Love it. Um, when you graduated in 1989, there was really no professional. So I, had, I had another season. I had a 90 season. That was uh, Did you you? Know, a year to forget. Yeah. I was, I, oh. I was actually, uh, I was, I always felt, and I have teammates who felt that I was a, a much better goalie that year, but, but we, we, we struggled. We went, uh, you know, we made the playoffs. We hosted Princeton team. We had beaten yeah. by like 12 goals week one and we lost to them in overtime. Uh, so it was a very disappointing mm-hmm. ending. Our coach ended up getting fired. Uh, it was, uh, it was a tough way to go out. It was a, a real disappointing season. Yeah, I bet. Uh, the question I was going to ask was uh, professional outdoor lacrosse didn't exist back then. Yeah. I mean, the, the MLL was 
2000, 2001, it started, there was the indoor league, but if professional lacrosse did exist back then, do you think you would have went to play professional outdoor lacrosse as a goalie? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I went, I played for Mount Washington lacrosse club, uh, 1991 for two years. I played with them that we won the championship in 1991, uh, playing alongside some great, you know, Petromala and, and, and others, uh, a lot of Towson guys. And, and I think the cool thing there was why I realized that, you know, there, there was very talented lacrosse players who, who were not as fortunate as I was to play, uh, at, at a, at a, at a program that got a lot of attention, you know, that, mm-hmm. that there were equally as talented players who were playing down the street at UMBC, Loyola, Towson had a couple guys from Penn state on our team, Lehigh. Uh, and, and that was wonderful. And, th- and then I kicked around, uh, played a few years for the green turtle and then finished off with, with team Toyota, uh, in, in, in the late nineties. And, and, uh, that was a, that was a fun experience. It was low key. It was, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was enjoyable. It was fun, yeah. but you know, I was drafted by the Pittsburgh bulls to, uh, for the indoor league to play indoor goalie league, yeah. and, and didn't accept that. And then later uh, played for the Baltimore thunder, uh, not, not goalie though, but that's a yeah. story for a different day. That's right. <laughs> um, I was going to say, so, you know, towards the end of your uh, senior year, is that, is that when you start thinking like, all right, what am I going to do? You know, po- post-college like career-wise and is that when you start thinking yeah. about journalism broadcasting or how, how did that how no did that I, I i i i interned for city corp uh, they had a credit card business the choice visa card up in towson here and i had a connection and, and interned prior to my senior year working in their hr department uh interviewing uh folks for collections and customer service positions for their their their, their telemarketing yeah and uh took a job there after college and, and ended up working there maybe a year, but, uh, it was, it was a beneficial experience to see what a nine to five for a major corporation was going to be like. And, uh, as soon as February turned to March of that first year and it hit three o'clock, I'm like, I got to get out of here. What, what am I doing in this <laughs> office? All day? And, and I was, uh, again, beneficial. It was a, uh, it was a rude awakening to me of what corporate life uh, having grown up with, with in a family of my parents were both teachers. Uh, and so sports in the afternoon was, was a, a big part of our lives. Having yeah. that denied for me, I really felt like I couldn't breathe every day at three o'clock and I had to get out of there. Interesting. So how did, how did the journalism broadcasting thing, like, where did you, where'd you start out with that then? Uh, I was asked by the Hopkins radio guys to come uh, join them in 1991. Uh, Mm. Howard Mash and Bill Tanton just out of nowhere. I got a phone call from Howard saying, Hey, you want to, you want to join us next, next spring on the radio? Uh, you know, it'll be a trio. And, 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 uh, and so that was uh, an awesome opportunity. You know, Howard, Howard was a character, man. He was a smooth talker. His dad owned Mash's hams. He was a gazillionaire, but, but he loved to dabble in, 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 in sports, whether it be TV or radio. Bill Tanton was a long time, columnist for the Baltimore Sun, a legend in this town, covered the Colts, covered, you know, the Orioles back when they were winning World Series. And so Bill was a legend. And so to be around those two, uh, our road trips were just hilarious. Uh, Mm. uh, You know, we we couldn't have had a better time. We had instant chemistry uh, and it was a lot of fun. And that radio, I think I did radio for two years. And then our third year, we got picked up by Home Team Sports, which was, which was a, you know, an up and coming cable channel in, in Washington, D.C., and we did five or six games, Hopkins cross games on TV. And uh, wow. 
that's how it started. Yeah. It was all very part-time. It was all very part-time. Yeah. And then at what point did, uh, from there ESPN kind of noticed you doing the games and offered you a position or how'd, how'd you get started with ESPN? I started in ESPN in 94, maybe they covering MILL indoor games on ESPN two. They had Lee mm-hmm. Felsmo and Christy Lee. They had a game of the week and they had a situation where they needed a play-by-play announcer to go call one game. And I had a tryout in Philadelphia, me and this other gentleman up, up top in the, Bill Fitz was a producer. He had produced like the first Super Bowl and he's overlooking. We both called a Philadelphia Wings game to tape that they were going to, uh, you know, uh, basically hire whoever they liked best. Well, uh. I end I end up winning that audition. They sent me up to Boston. I cover the Wings and the Boston Blazers. It's a game that Dallas Elliott like posts all the time on his uh, Instagram page. And it was like <laughs> one of the last games in the Boston Garden. I think it was like January of 95. I called the game in, in the old Boston Garden and I listened to it. I'm like, oh my God, that was horrible. And uh, I get a call after the game. They're like, yeah, we'd like you to join us for the rest of the season. So I ended awesome, up working man. on those ESPN2 games, the, the, the playoff run in 95 and then 96. And then... Uh, at the same time, the production company that handled that was handling the NCAA championships. So they're like, yeah, we're going to have you and Leaf do the championships in 95. And I was yeah. more comfortable, obviously, co- covering field lacrosse. But it was it was very right place, right time. Get a tryout, make it work, and then keep pushing. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome story. And you, so you've been covering, you know, lacrosse for, for, for a long time. Um, and, the, and the growth of the sport has really taken off. I mean, from when, you know, you were – covering national championships in 2000 to 20 years later, would you say that's changed the way that you do your, your, your commentary, the growth of the sport? Yeah. It's gotten harder to keep track because there are so many more good programs now, Uh, you know, 70 D one D two, you know, hundreds of D three women's. So there's more lacrosse. Uh, That's harder, but what's easier Mm -hmm. is there's more video. You know, when I first started, yeah. there was like no video, like teams, teams existed in their own little bubble and you, you'd have to trust your friends. Hey, did you watch uh, the Penn State game against uh, Villanova last week? Uh, tell me about this kid, Damon. Oh, this attacker, you should see him. He's great. Well, right. no, you know, like nobody knew, like everyone right. knew their own little areas, but I was lucky enough. Leif Elsmo had Toyota lacrosse weekly going in the mid nineties. And I'd go down to his house in Annapolis two days a week or at least one day for a long day and edit highlight packages of footage that he was being sent from, from around the country. So I'd get Mm -hmm. to see UMass play Harvard. I'd get to see Hofstra play St. John's. I'd get to see Delaware play Penn uh, games that nobody else had access to. And those highlight packages obviously ran on the show. That show was so good. It was just ahead of, it was ahead of the curve. It was ahead of the growth curve. But for me, it was really beneficial because I could see, the great players. I could see what made good players. I could see uh, you know, trends in the game. Uh, wow. Yeah. You, you know, who, who's emerging stars, what teams are actually better than they were getting credit for. So I was very yeah. fortunate. Uh, and I, I enjoyed putting, putting together those highlight packages. Yeah. Well, when you watch, you know, the, the lacrosse commentary of those earlier games, it's like, you know, the first shot that gets taken that goes, that people chase out. It's like, remember folks in lacrosse, like the closest to the end line, when the shot goes out, retains possession. Like you're kind of like, explaining the game a little bit in the commentary because it's it's a newer sport on television and I, I don't see that anymore and that's great right I mean like people are getting a lot more familiar with lacrosse and I love that 
Yeah, we we still have to do teaching. And uh, you know, the you bigger the game. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. Don't assume that the viewer and if we're gonna grow our audience, we have to cater to the new viewer. So you may hear Anish say early on in the game, you know, Virginia retains possession. They were closer to it when it went out mm-hmm. subtly. That, that's the ch- most challenging thing. I talk about it all the time is, you know, I, I can broadcast to the lacrosse expert. I can broadcast to the high school player. I can broadcast to the newbie. Well, I got to hopefully do a broadcast that appeals to all three. Uh, yeah. And so sprinkle in advanced, sprinkle in medium, sprinkle in beginner. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's, that's what I find to be the most challenging. Who do I gear this broadcast to? Well, I thoroughly enjoy listening to you, Quint. Uh, thank you so much for you know representing the lacrosse goalie community. I know anytime you put yourself out there, um, you know whether it be on Instagram or even you know doing what you do, like people are going to say some things. There's going to be some chirping, but I love what you do. I think you provide awesome goalie analysis uh, to like during the broadcast, and I love it. So thank you so much. Well, as a goalie, you learn to deal with the chirping. That's nothing new from yeah. the position. I will tell you one thing: goalies are a little different. You know, I've, I've had my goalie camp for 25 years. It's small, 50 to 75 kids. And every year I'm like, do I want to do this again? And I show up and these kids are driven. Like you don't put a kid in the goal. Like mom and dad don't, don't put a kid in the goal. Like it just doesn't work. He wants to be there. Mm-hmm. And so what, what I have found so refreshing is that when I have these camps and I see young goalies or I go to a college practice, like these guys, they, they love it. And because they have so much invested, like they're putting themselves out there. And, uh, and that's the cool thing about the position, I think. And, and, and thank you for, for catering to that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if you even remember some of these specific comments. I'll throw a couple out and see if you remember them. So two, 2004 uh, championship game, Navy, Navy Syracuse, Matt Russell gets tagged in the thigh and the ball goes in and you're like, guys, as a goalie, like that is so demoralizing, like to get good meat on it and still have it go in. So true. It's so true. I mean, that is the worst. That is the worst when you get hit by the shot. It's the worst. And it goes It's in. the worst. It's the worst in practice when it happens. Like that's oh, yeah. the worst. Like in oh, a yeah. game, you're like, oh, but like to get it good, to get hit by it and it still goes in. It's like, man, this is not going to be my day. Uh, you know, I, I always, I always like gauge my practice week. How many bad goals did I give up this week? And then fluky goals. I'd love to give up in practice. The, 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 the shot, shots going wide by like five yards and hits off a defender's helmet and goes in mm-hmm. and in practice. And you're like, thank God we got that one out of the way. There's no way that can happen <laughs> twice. There's no yeah. way that's going to happen on game day. Cause it already happened. Like, you know, the, the crazy fluky goals, get those out of the way during the week, but don't give up bad goals during the week. Cause all I know is when I gave up bad goals during the week, goals I should have had goals that I was lazy on or, or missed. I gave them up on Saturdays as well. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, with last year, I wanted to ask you last year, you know, the seasons got canceled uh, with the COVID and obviously devastating for um, any goalie, any senior, you know, that was your last opportunity. I'm curious for you, it's probably the first time without lacrosse in a long time. I'm curious how, how you handled it. I struggled. Uh, you know, I have a daughter, she's 11, she's in sixth grade now. Last year she was in fifth grade, but they, you know, they sent everybody home and, and school for the, for the spring was online. And quite honestly, she goes to a very, very good school, but they weren't ready for it. And so it was very yeah. partial. Uh, their, their online offerings this fall, now she's back in school, but their online offerings this fall were, were drastically improved. I mean, it was like real school at home. But so there was a lot going on from a parental standpoint to distract me from the fact that we didn't have lacrosse. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I felt 
physically I felt tired, drained, and sore. You know, I kept my workouts going, but you know, games, even now as an announcer, like there's adrenaline, there's, there's uh, the national anthem, the big hit, the mm. big goal, the crowd. Like I draw positive chem- blood chemistry from those games, to be at those mm-hmm. games, to get excited for those games, to see those moments. Like it, it, it fulfills me. And without that, I felt really kind of drained. I, I, like I wasn't getting any external juice. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Well, so awesome. It's going to be back this year. Um, we don't know in what context, but um, who are you from a lacrosse goalie standpoint? Who are you most excited to, uh, to watch this year? Uh, you know, I'm interested right down the road. You know, Hopkins has got, uh, was it Josh Carson transfer from, from Ohio State? It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what he can do there. Uh, the Blake Porter, or, or Drake, excuse me, Jer- Drake, Drake Porter, Drake Porter Syracuse, Syracuse. Yep. yeah, he's yep. super steady. You know, he, he is so calm. He's really steady. He had great numbers last year. He makes it kind of look easy. You know, he, he he's, uh, he's not that flamboyant. He handles the ball well, but it, it, like he doesn't wow you with anything. And at the end of the day, you look at him and he's like, well, he got 70% today or he got 65% or, you know, nice numbers. He's steady as a rock. Uh, you know, who's going to be the next great goalie? It'll be interesting. You know, the Mm -hmm. opportunity now with the PLL, the great news is we have one league. The bad news is that it's going to be really tough for, for a graduating goalie to make one of these rosters. There's only going to be like 20 rookies who make the league. If you do the math at a 13.8% turnover rate, like the NFL has that that's room for 20 rookies. Okay. If you have 20 rookies, how many are goalies? Two. Yeah. One one or two. two. Yeah. So there's only one or two guys who are going to be, be, be pros. So, uh, you know, you know, I, I think, uh, Virginia's goalie has come oh, a long true. way. Yeah. Alex, mm-hmm. uh, he, he is, you know, he, I met him years ago when, when they had the ride out in, in the Nike had the ride out in Oregon. And, and I, I was, I wasn't sure about what he was going to look like as a, as a college goalie. He, I got the sense that he didn't at the time, that I couldn't get him to do any extra work to like take extra shots. And that, that, that's, so I'm based on the, the kids saying, Hey coach, can we stay after practice and, and you know, take 10 minutes of shots from a certain angle? And I didn't get that sense for him. Fast forward a couple of years. I had him coach at my camp. Uh, he's awesome with kids. He's so into it. Like something, something snapped with him where, where, where he is. He's like uh, made that transformation from a high school kid, or maybe he's a little unsure of himself. To, to now a, a young man who's heading in the right direction. And I've seen that confidence grow in the field. And so he's a, he's a guy who, who I will always root for uh, because he's, he's, I've seen him work with the kids at camp and he's uh, he, he's a special kid. Love it. Um, I'll throw my, I'll throw my two cents into the mix here. Not, not that I'm a famous commentator, but uh, Mike Adler, uh, St. Joe's goalie transferred to Duke. Yeah, Duke. Um, I had him on the podcast uh, by the way, he told this amazing story about getting a t- attacked by a shark. You got to, you got to, you got to hear that story. <laughs> anyway, but it's going to be so interesting to see people, especially from a goalie standpoint. Like as a goalie, you're a leader of the team. Like that, that's what makes goalies uh, great when they are those leaders. And now, like transferring in in this odd COVID mixed season, it's like how do you create that chemistry and, and like become a leader of those men w- w- over Zoom? You know what I mean? Yeah, and he's on a great team. His expectation level, though, has changed. When you go from a St. Joe's to a Duke's, the expectation level, uh, the pressure 
you know, how, how does he handle that? I'm sure he's very excited and he should be, and he's an exceptional goalie. So I, I think he's going to do really well. Uh, it'll be very exciting for him, but to, to play a Duke schedule is uh, it'll be a challenge. You know, he's, he's going to see some, the ACC's best. Uh, yeah. Notre Dame's goalie. Got Entenman, me. Liam Entenman. <laughs> okay. He's got potential. He's got potential. He was a freshman last year. He, he you know, there were glimpses and he, and he showed some, some youthful mistakes that he made, but from a physical standpoint, he's got the body of a pro. He's kind of long, but he's explosive and really flexible. He goes from pipe to pipe. Well, he's super smooth. He he's a guy going forward. Uh, I, I guess he could be considered a sophomore now, maybe with freshman eligibility, but uh, he's a guy who could be a future pro. I think just, just from uh, an athletic standpoint. Awesome. Uh, I want to close out our conversation by, by chatting about your uh, coaching of goalies. You mentioned you're still doing the camp. That's awesome. Um, what, what does, uh, what, what's your approach to coaching lacrosse goalies nowadays? Like what, what does the, the Quint Kestnich goalie camp look like? Uh, keep it simple. You know, going back, you know, I started coaching at boys Latin as, as I mentioned that job earlier with Citibank at five o'clock, I would drive home and I was driving on Lake Avenue towards Mount Washington where I had an apartment and I passed the school on the right. I had no idea what school it was. I saw lacrosse practice. I pull into the parking lot. I'm watching lacrosse practice. It's five o'clock and raining. All of a sudden up the hill walks their coach. I have no idea who this guy is. He comes over to my car. He goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm just watching practice. He goes, he goes, why don't you come out tomorrow and, and help the goalies? I'm like, I'd love to. My, I'm Quint. He goes, I know who you are. Well, it was boys <laughs> Latin school and it was Bob Shriver. And so like 40 years later, we're still like best friends. I came out the next day in my suit in the mud and started warming up goalies in 1991. I ended up coaching there for 12 years uh, on and off for 12 years. I haven't done it in a while since my daughter was born, but it was, it was the greatest experience. I mean, the greatest. And what, what I learned Man, your goalie's as good as your goalie's as good as you think he is. Your goalie's as good as you tell him he is. When I see goalies with a lack of confidence, that usually comes from a, a coach who has a lack of confidence in their goalie. Uh, I always felt emboldened when when coach would send send me out to warm up because I could tell that he, you know he 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 had my back. And if you you got to have the back of your goalie, and so yeah. so that was always big with me. Do the work. You got to do the work. And, and we worked hard. I, 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 we had three goalies. I would warm up my backup goalie during halftime of games. We, we had a kid one year who was pretty good. He ended up going to Miami, architecture, done well, played club there, but he was good. His name was Troy Morocco. Called him the Italian Stallion. Everyone had a nickname. Well, Stallion never got in much. And Stallion's dad was the greatest fan. And he'd come to all the games. And I always felt bad. It was like halfway through the year. I'm like, man, that guy's at all our games. He's the most positive parent. And he doesn't get to watch his son play. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to warm him up next week at halftime. And so I got in this, I got in this mode where I'm warming up my backup goalie at halftime to give him a feel what, what it's like to be shot on in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. But for, for Troy, it was to, so his dad could watch him play. And this kid puffed up like you wouldn't believe. And because he was nervous, it was the first time he'd been shot on with his dad in attendance since he was like sure. in rec league. And, and so I've always used halftime to bring my backup out there and give them like a, a feel for what it's going to be like. I've always felt that during practice, there are dead times for goalies, whether you're doing riding or clearing or half field or to fill those dead time with extra shots. So if, if the ball was at the other end of the field, I'm shooting on this goalie for three, four or five minutes, ball changes and comes up. I'm running down the other end and shoot on that goalie. 
So mm-hmm. we're trying to cram in extra reps. You know, practice mm-hmm. only going to be two, two and a half hours. Maximize your time in the goal before, after, and during practice. Uh, you, you can't get enough reps. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier in our conversation about kids today have it, you know, a, a lot easier with the tape, uh, you know, the, the film and the video that they can watch. They have it a lot easier too with, um, these goalies on Instagram. I mean, you've got, you know, the, the elite goalies in the game, Kyle Burnlore, um, you know, guys that I study and I'm fans of yeah. like posting these drills that are just like amazing, like next level stuff. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's what it takes to get to the highest level of our sport. Um, and you know what, write those down. And like you said, Quint, when you've got dead time, like fill it with shots or fill it with, with drills. Cause you need to get that work in. Yeah, no, I was always working on something before and after practice, whether it was ground ball play, outlet passes, dodging, or saves. And mm-hmm. when, you, when you break down your saves, I think it's really important to be specific. I see too many goalies getting shot on from 15 yards and out, okay? People don't shoot from 15 yards and out. You don't need mm-hmm. to practice those shots. You need to practice your inside one-on-ones, one fake and a shot, two mm-hmm. fakes and a shot, three mm-hmm. fakes and a shot from point-blank range. Because if you practice those in a game, you will make that save. But that, that is an acquired skill, those point-blank shots. Mid-rangers, shots on the run. So many young goalies struggle with the ball coming out of middies dodging. Well, it's tiring as a coach. That's part of the deal. If you're going to shoot on goalies, you got to run down the alley. you got to do it 30 times and, 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 and fire on these kids because those are game-like shots. I'm a big believer in game-like shots. And so whenever I yeah. stayed after practice, I'd grab an attackman and i tell him, Scott Mark. Mike Morrow. I'm like, okay, do your inside roll and take your game shot. Boom. And, and we do it. And it was really beneficial for them because then we discuss things. I'm like, I'm holding the pipe until you, until you give me that motion. And then I'm going to probably, you know, take away the offsider. We talk about things. He goes, well, what if I fake you here? I'm like, that's a great time to fake because I think you're going to, you know, and so that, that yeah. discourse back and forth between shooter and goaltender can become very educational. I used to do that all the time. Yeah. I would, I would talk about specific situations with the attack, with the attack guys and like, Hey, when you're coming around from X, like, you know, what are you seeing uh, from me? You know, like, Oh, I'm seeing you kind of like come off the pipe a little bit too soon. And I just, you know, shoot exactly. it short side. Exactly. And then, you know, like, great, that's what I need to work on. So I, they, they can give you an uh, awesome perspective. That's a great tip. So there's knowledge. Yeah. And I agree with that. You know, I cover college wrestling and the amount of technique, stuff that's out in the internet now on, on social media is incredible. The setups for takedowns, single legs, yeah. the finishing, like none of that existed when I wrestled. I would have been actually pretty good uh, with, with some of the coaching that goes on. The same can be applied to lacrosse, you know, uh, especially from the goalie position. I'm not a huge fan of what I call goofy goalie drills. Things that like, like, why are we doing that? I'm, a, I'm more of a functionally oriented, like a baseball batter to get good as a hitter. You got to take a lot of batting practice. Uh, a free throw shooter to get good. You got to take a lot of foul shots. Like, Mm -hmm. and and you can work on obviously cleaning up your technique, but in order to be good at making saves, you've got to make saves. And again, focus on in tight five yard shots, eight yard shots, 10 yard shots. Stop worrying so much about the stuff from the perimeter. Love it. Well, let me know when you're doing the camp. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll help promote it. Um, uh, is it, is it over the summers or when, when do you it's over the summer it? for, for okay. a week? You know, it's, it's, uh, at night only. And so it's local yep. kids here. We've, we've had, uh, excellent staff through the years. We, we, we've trained, you know, Jake Stover was a camper. I remember the first time Jacob Stover showed up at the camp with his dad, Matt. And I was kind of like, uh, 
you know, Matt's a kid, well, he's a kicker for the Ravens. Kicker, yeah, Jake showed yeah. up. Jake showed up with these black football pants with thigh pads and knee pads. Yeah. I think he was in like sixth grade. Uh, there we are, you know, 10 years later when he's at Loyola and I started training him on the side and, and, uh, become friends with, with the, with the family. And, um, uh, that, that was a real positive story. Uh, but, but again, the, the, like the greatest thing about camp is the, the kids there, like they're not there because mom and dad want them to be there. They're there because yeah. they want to get better. And that, I find that every year, like to be the most inspiring thing. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I had Jake on, on the, on the, on the podcast. He's awesome. Awesome guy. So yeah. much energy. Yeah. Very positive. Very positive. I mean, very. you could score on Jake and you'd like smile and laugh at you. Like, wait, I just scored on you. We used to compete at the end of our sessions and, uh, you know, when he was in high school and, uh, it was, it was very enjoyable to work with him. Yeah. Awesome. sounds like you've got a great gig at ESPN. Do you see yourself kind of growing that, that commentator career? Do you ever see yourself getting more into, into coaching one day? I think, I think, well, I'm going to grow the commentator career and continue with it as long as I can. Yeah. Uh, and, and when that changes to either part-time or no more, I do see myself coaching somewhere, probably not the college level, maybe a low level college or high school somewhere where it's sunny and warm. Yeah. Come down to Argentina, start, start up a <laughs> program there. <laughs> uh, Quint, thank you so much for taking the time, telling your stories. It's, it's such a pleasure, uh, to be able to chat with you. I mean, I just looked up, we're already way past the hour mark. Uh, time flies when you're talking, lacrosse goalie uh if there's um one last piece of of goalie advice that you could leave for the for the kids what, what would that be well first of all fans can get in touch with me uh instagram it's quint e kesnick uh twitter i'm on there you can find me as well so so don't 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 be bashful send me some questions if you want to even if we develop a relationship you can send me tape and i can look at it so i'm, I'm always willing and able to help uh you know, the, the, the game, the game of lacrosse can give you a lot. Uh, I, I just, you know, I enjoyed putting in the time and doing the work and then it paid, it paid so many benefits in terms of friendships, a good college education, mm -hmm. post collegiate, you know, I chose to make lacrosse a career. It was rough when I was in my twenties in terms of financially, but it's panned out for the best. I had a dream, you know, I had a vision of what I thought this could be if the sport continued to grow and, and, uh, and we're just getting started. So, uh, if you're a young goalie right now, you're lucky. You're growing up in an era where, where you're going to be really taken care of. You're going to have expertise. Uh, for you, you, you just got to put in the work. You, you got to uh, be hungry and, and, do, and do the work and do the reps. Quint, thank you so much. Thank you. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that episode with ESPN commentator, two-time goalie of the year at Johns Hopkins. That's Quint Kesnich. Hopefully after listening to that, you can understand why I wanted to get Quint on the show so badly. In addition to being a great lacrosse goalie, he's, he's a great wealth of lacrosse knowledge and has plenty of amazing stories by being so closely involved in the game for so long. That'll do it for this week. If you missed the beginning of the episode, we've got the Lacrosse Goalie Summit 3 happening March 3rd. Through March 6th, I am so pumped up for the lineup of coaches. I personally cannot wait. If you are a lacrosse goalie, a lacrosse goalie parent, a lacrosse goalie coach, a lacrosse coach who wants to up their goalie game, this is the event for you. It's 100% free, and you can grab a ticket at GoalieSummit.com. So head on over to GoalieSummit.com. 
youtube.com and you can get signed up. There's a VIP pass option too if you want to get the replays and have access to everything for life. That'll do it on the episode this week. Lacrosse season is here. Hope you're enjoying watching these games on TV and listening to none other than the man we just listened to, Quint Kesnich, call some of the lacrosse games. Get out there. Get some work in. Be well. Do well. I'm Coach Damon. Take care. You've been listening to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast with your host, Coach Damon Wilson. 